Welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast. Well, We're here to grow in faith, connect in community, University. and serve the world. And at that point, I knew Thanks I for joining us. Seminary, we hope you enjoy. But I was unsure where. Something about Lutheran Theological Southern Seminary in South Carolina piqued my interest. Probably the warm winters. And it was pretty close to my grandparents and a few more relatives, so I decided I would check it out. We went over Christmas break when we were just a couple hours away visiting my grandparents. And I stepped foot in the chapel, which is this gorgeous space with floor-to-ceiling stained glass, and something just clicked into place. I knew with a deep conviction that I can only describe as the Holy Spirit that I would go to LTSS. It was a daunting prospect for young adult me, though. I was excited and determined but I had also never lived more than 20 minutes from home, and I was homesick even then. 10 hours seemed like a lot, and it was. We returned to my grandparents' house that evening, and my mom looked at me with a bittersweet smile and said, you're supposed to go there, aren't you? And I started crying, as I often do when faced with monumental change, but I did, in fact, move down to South Carolina. It's been almost 19 years since I made that choice, but I still remember the clarity of that moment. It sustained me through a lot of homesickness and doubt, as did my parents and Brad's support, which was unwavering. But I got to wondering this week as I studied the text, what would have happened if I didn't have their support? What would I have done if instead of their support, they had discouraged me from going if they told me it was the wrong move, that I was making a mistake, that the distance and the demands were too much, or that seminary itself wasn't the right next step for me. Thankfully, I did not have to find out, but I suspect that it wouldn't have changed my path ultimately. None of it ever felt up for debate to me. There have been other times in my life too where something just seemed settled times when to do anything different felt like the wrong choice. Most recently, this happened when I had the honor of being asked if I would consider being the primary candidate here at Prince of Peace. The yes was out of my mouth before I even really had time to process that I said yes. And it felt very deeply right from that moment on. Can you think of similar instances? Our decisions are not always so sure, but every now and again, we know with a deep assurance what we need to do. Jesus had that sort of conviction, I'm sure to a much greater degree than any of us ever experience, when he set his face toward Jerusalem to go, suffer, die, and rise again. If you remember last week, Peter declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God, And Jesus was like, correct, sir. I'm going to rename you Peter, and you're the rock on which I'll build the church. And then Jesus told the disciples not to tell anyone. So they had this enormous revelation. Peter absolutely nailed it on naming Jesus the Messiah, and then they weren't allowed to tell a soul. But from that time on, Jesus started explaining what it means to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
he would have to go to Jerusalem, suffer greatly at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and on the third day be raised. The reception to this news was chilly. Peter rebuked him. The verb is the same verb that describes Jesus rebuking demons elsewhere in the gospel. Peter was not thrilled. And the rock of the church turned into a stumbling block, at least for a few moments. Peter was probably just horrified at the prospect of his friend and teacher suffering and dying. It's a fair reaction. But Jesus knew that it was essential to who he was. There was no avoiding this, not if he was going to also love the world with God's own love. So he snaps back at Peter. Get behind me, Satan. If it helps any, Satan could mean more just adversary or opponent than the devil. But however Jesus meant it, he was not confusing on what the problem was. Peter was setting his mind on human things, not divine things. How often is that true of us? Far, 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 far more often than I'd like to admit. I focus on human things, and it's my actual job to think of divine things. So you'd think I'd be more consistent. But our minds are decidedly prone to setting on human things. It's easy to lose our focus on God and God's love. And then everything else sort of falls apart too. So what do we do? who very much want to set our minds on divine things. Fortunately, Jesus gave us the instructions for this part, too. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Easy, right? Theologian Chad Bird points out that take up your cross has been watered down somewhat. We use it to reference suffering more often than dying, and even suffering might be a stretch of our understanding sometimes. I prefer my call to take up my cross to cause no more than a slight inconvenience to my plans. That doesn't do justice to what Jesus meant, though. There was a single end to cross-bearing, and it was death. In case we want to wriggle out of it, Jesus really drives the point home by continuing for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Before we start panicking too much, as always with Jesus, there is good news. Because Christ suffered, died, and was raised, we can do the dying part at our baptism. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 6 that we who are baptized were baptized into Jesus' death. The sin in us, the part of us that is perpetually focused on human things, that dies in baptism. In that sense, we're all dead people walking. The old sinful self is gone. And if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we will surely be united with Christ in a resurrection like his. Christ brings new life. So now we can focus on divine things. We can deny ourselves and take up our cross. And we can do so confidently because we know that not even death separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Christ is with us all of the way. 
So the dying part is done, but the denying ourselves, the taking up our cross, those take daily work. Martin Luther encouraged us to remember our baptisms every day. We can make the sign of the cross each time we pass the font, or when we wash our face, or at the kitchen sink, or even in just a moment of silent prayer. In the small catechism, Luther wrote that our sinful self should be drowned through daily repentance, so that day after day, a new self should arise to life with God in righteousness and purity forever. That's a great place to begin, focusing our attention on God and on our new life in Christ. We start by thinking of the ways that we have failed to live and love like Jesus and asking for forgiveness for those times. And then we relish in God's forgiveness that never fails us. But then what? How do we stay focused on Christ, setting our mind on divine things? Even in the midst of work deadlines and health issues and housework and parenting and for some school and for others retirement and, and, and. We're not captive to sin anymore, not since that holy water hit our heads in baptism. But until Christ returns, we are still tempted to sin. We are still tempted to focus on things that might be very good things sometimes, but are also not what God is calling us to do. For instance, Jesus not suffering and dying would have been an objectively good thing. But it was not what Jesus was called to do either. So yes, there are those obvious sorts of things that we need to work on, like saying no to selfishness and greed and cruelty and pettiness and all those sorts of behaviors. But we also need to say no sometimes to very good things, things that aren't for us, at least not at that moment. And it's tricky to figure all of that out. Sometimes what God is calling us to do is as clear as that mission Jesus had. But oftentimes, most of the time, it's a whole lot murkier. That's why Jesus gives us one another. So that we can discuss these questions together and pray about them together and figure out the path forward. And Jesus gives us scripture. In the midst of our busy world and our complicated lives, Paul's letter to the Romans can also help us stay focused on Christ. It's a sort of how-to on denying ourselves and bearing our cross. So we'll rehear Paul's words, this time from the translation, the message, which is not known for its accuracy in translation because they sought to modernize the language. But it sometimes helps me to hear the words with fresh ears. Paul writes, love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil, Hold on to dear life, to the good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. 
share tears when they're down, get along with each other, don't be stuck up, make friends with nobodies, don't be the great somebody, don't hit back, discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even, that's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God, I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch, or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Life with Jesus can be challenging. Our orders can be daunting. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Get the best of evil by doing good. Be willing to lose everything for Jesus' sake, even life itself. But life with Jesus is always, always worth it. For in living as Jesus commands us to, we find life. True, abundant, grace-filled life. Amen.